Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Friends, and welcome to Shared History. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's history. I think she's born with it. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to place my bet on born with it. <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Cass Maher. And I'm Nat Younger. Yay. Yay. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to Shared History, the history podcast where Cass and I tell each other things from history that we wish... We're in our history books. Yeah, stuff we think is cool that we want to learn more about. Yeah, the often overlooked or underrepresented. Um, uh, oh, we didn't introduce our dear our dear pal. Love of our life, pod daddy, faux life, DJ, DJ Rip. Zip, ba dip, zip, dip, dip. What you say is DJ Rip. Oh, did you, have you been planning that since last week? Not a not a syllable of that. That was off the dome. Off I the look dome. forward Respect. to the to the super cut of just DJ. Rip. Oh, we need to do that. He's our he's truly he's truly a breakout star of this podcast. Um, I want to talk to you about a little uh, a little woman called uh, Anna Coleman Ladd. Okay. Um, she was uh, an American sculptor from Massachusetts who devoted her time to soldiers who were disfigured in the war. She was a like trained sculptress. She was like a Boston socialite. She studied in Paris and Rome and she was a sculptor and she would, um, she ended up going to France because her husband was a, a physician in Boston, mm-hmm. and he ended up going overseas to work for the Red Cross mm-hmm. for like children's medical stuff. And he was like, oh wait, so they went over to France before the no, it was for the it, it was, was for World, World War, War Two. Got it. One and World War One. Sorry, rewind and uh, the prequel. The prequel <laughs> and um, just as bad as the Star Wars prequels, but for different reasons. But for different reasons. Uh, yeah, so he was on the front lines as like a, he was a surgeon, and then he went on the front lines to be like a, an army medic or whatever. And she was holed up in Paris and started working for, let me get the name of it correctly. I'm sorry, I'm distracted by the fact that I'm now just picturing Jar Jar Binks in World War One. <laughs> oh no, I hate that. I hate it too. <laughs> oh, he's in that little bubble thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she started working for the masks for facial disfigurement department and she, there's a whole department and she ran the studio for portrait masks. So in world war two, like, or God darn it. World war one. Um, it was trench warfare. Mm -hmm. Like they would dig trenches and they would, you know, blast mortars over and then they would slowly start doing more trenches forward. And it was, it was kind of the beginning of trench warfare. Mm -hmm. War had not been fought like this ever before. It was unprecedented. Everything about this war was the, the scope, the like how many people were involved Mm -hmm. from all over the world. Like this wasn't a war between nations. This was a war between the world. It was crazy. Um, And so the nature of trench warfare 
most of the, it lent itself very much to facial disfigurement because you're at eye level. Yeah, people if, are just throwing, it's like the worst snowball fight. It is. And if someone throws a, uh, if someone throws a bomb over at you or, or a grenade or something, even if it doesn't get in your trench, you're at eye level, right? Because it's going to hit the ground and then it's boom, it's going to hit you in the face. So there were an estimated 20,000 facial disfigurements from this war. Um, and that's, I'm sure, that's a conservative a number. Yeah. It's a lot of faces. And um, hey, re- dear readers, uh, podcasting is a, is a visual medium, correct? No. Paint me a picture. I've got, I've got actual pictures, though, that we will post on the gram. The, they were beautiful masks. And plastic surgery at the time was very new. It was very crude. It was kind of quick, quick fix aesthetics were mm-hmm. not the main focus it was about getting you know function mm-hmm. um so it, is it more like coverage and and just and like yeah so so here's a like, mask she made it's like what they would oh, do is they would take um galvanized copper which i don't know what that means i think it's just the way it's produced um, and they would like hammer it to one thirty second of an inch. And I looked up how much one thirty second was. Cause I was like, that's, are you going to convert it for our fans? I'm going to, yeah, again, a visual medium. So if you look at a ruler and you go to the one for the one inch and then in between the one and the two, there's 16 hash marks. Mm-hmm. If you go in between the first hash mark, that's one thirty second. It's like super, super thin and and it, and then they made like it was kind of an enamel over it. Uh, what they would do is they would make plasters of. Sorry for our fans abroad. One thirty second of an inch is point seven nine four millimeters. There you go, Rebecca. Got it for you. Um, uh, our shout out to Rebecca, my one of our, my, our fan abroad. My, our fan abroad. I hope she's spreading the word um, overseas. I love you, Rebecca. I miss you. Um, they this would, isn't about her. This isn't about her. Although it is, I love you. Um, they would make a plaster of these soldiers' faces, and they said it was like a miserable process. They were like, it was suffocating. There was something that said that they they did it with like, th- like there was a soldier who had like, his jaw was gone, his nose was gone, and he was missing his left eye. And so they took a, a, sculptor, or a sculpture of his face or plaster, and then they're like, but they needed the eye opened so that they could make it realistic. And I'm like, I don't know if like they plastered his face while it was open, or yeah. if they plastered his face and then like, you know, like sculpted it so it was open. I don't know. Like, either way, it was not fun. Yeah, that's. Um, I can't swim with my eyes open, <laughs> so I can't imagine. We've being already established you're not a swimmer. I'm not a swimmer. You're a sinker. I don't sink. I can't really float either. <laughs> well, you're just kind of like barely you treading. You're throwing a twig in the water and the twig is so long and but also like unsubstantial in weight that the twig sinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. Cool, cool, cool. You are along, so I'm along. Um <laughs> I didn't I I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I don't What does that have to do with anything? Where am I gonna swim? Oh, I thought you meant that's why you were tall. Oh yeah, also, that's I just, Natalie brought um, cake and donuts, and I think I just burped. Well, I know I just burped a little bit, but I hope y'all didn't hear it. 
But if you did, I figured I'd just call it out. Anyway, so she made plasters of these soldiers' faces. And so the, the plasters would be disfigured and they would have the holes and all that stuff. And then she would make these masks and put it over it. If you can't see what I'm seeing, dear readers, um, think of like the Phantom of the Opera mask, mm-hmm. how it was just kind of like a, a thing, like it matched his face and everything and it kind of just went over the side. These were hooked on by um, either string or like like your eyeglasses, how it would go over mm-hmm. your ears. Um, a lot of them are for like the chin and the nose. So they go over your chin. Like think of Fan with the Opera, but if it were on your chin. But like a like a football helmet. Thing. Yeah, yeah, like a chin strap. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they are beautifully detailed. So in World War One, again, it's very unprecedented. No one's fought like this. Um, and this was when they kind of uh, started labeling shell shock, which is PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, but they called it shell shock. That's just their name for it. Um, there was just so much. Um, people would come back from war and they were changed. Oh, yeah. And, and it, it was just because of the scope, there was just so many people and there was all of them just couldn't cope when they came back. Understandably. So, um, the process of like, if you got wounded in battle, uh, the process of like getting out, getting to a hospital, getting treat all that stuff from start to finish. It was, it took forever. Like they would have tents of people just lined up on stretchers, just Mm -hmm. hanging out And that would be in the triage tents. And then if you made it overseas, you would be in these packed hospitals untreated for days at a time, just waiting. There are too many people to help. Mm -hmm. And then once you got treated, you were either sent home to convalesce or a lot of people, there's this this devastating quote from the Smithsonian. Uh, These soldiers were sent to uh, hospitals to convalesce and, and they would be there for a long period of time sometimes. Um, uh, so it says here, long convalescence, convalescence process. Uh, it was for soldiers who were do, too disfigured. Um, they were left in the hospitals themselves with broken faces with which they were unprepared to confront the world or with which the world was unprepared to confront them. Like, that's devastating. Yeah, and it's like they're getting, they're, they need the facial reconstruction sometimes probably most of the time not even just so that that like they can live but just so that like people aren't like yeah ah. well and like there like there's you hear about um like phantom limbs or whatever like oh i'm i'm an amputee but i can still feel my hand mm-hmm. and whatnot and that's very disorienting and to have your face gone like the body dysmorphia and that could freak you out and mm-hmm. and it it fucks with your brain um There's a quote from a a doctor here, again, from Smithsonian article. It is a fairly common experience for the maladjusted person to feel like a stranger to his world. It must be unmitigated hell to feel like a stranger to yourself. Like this, this was heavy and it was rough. Yeah. Um, She would paint these, she would paint them all. All of these so masks. she was casting them and painting them. She was casting them. them. She was building the molds, and then she was painting them. And they were incredibly detailed. And it was really cool because of, like, I mean, they weren't killing it as far as, like, treating mental illness and whatnot. Like, mm-hmm. asylums back then were 
awful. And they didn't know a lot of what like depression was and what mm-hmm. caused it and what it did to the body and how outside factors affected you. So it says that her studio was in Paris. It was in the Latin Quarter and it was bright and airy and cheerful. They had huge windows and ivy growing and she made an effort to make it a welcoming environment for the soldiers so that they would feel comfortable and at home. Um, And they would come to her studio and she would do the plastering and then make the mold and then she would paint them and incredibly detailed, beautifully done. They would, and she would have to account for the light. These did look remarkably like like part of their faces. <clears throat> There's actually a really cool video on, I mean, you can find it plenty of places, but I saw it on the Smithsonian of, it's like black and white uh, moving pictures, silent of her making these and painting mm-hmm. these. And all the pictures and videos are grainy and in black and white. But from what we see, like, if I didn't know at first, some of these, I would think it's just part of their face. Yeah. Like I said, they put them on, like they kind of had like eyeglass bits to go around your ears to keep it on. And she would make ears over that. And they are beautifully detailed and it looks real. But she said that they only had a shelf life of like one to two years because they're, they're really, they're delicate and they're hand painted. They had experimented with oil paint and they found that that chipped off. So they found doing the copper and then an enamel over it gave it kind of like a dull fleshy texture and look. And then she would paint it to match the skin color, but they had to account for the lighting. Like if it were bright out or if it were cloudy, like it looks different. Yeah. So they accounted for that and she would paint them while they were on the soldiers faces, which could take a really long time. Is there like uh, and is there like a museum somewhere that you can go and they just, I wonder if there's a museum somewhere you can go and they just have like, all, uh, all just a bunch of old ones just no. like because I wonder if how eerie that would be since it always all different parts of different faces there's there's a picture on on a on the internet of like the 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 casts mm-hmm. of the faces just lined up in the studio and it's just all these disfigured plastered molds of broken soldiers and mm-hmm. then there's rows of the masks but they say like none of them survive. And so like the, these men like had body dysmorphia and like not wearing them freaked him out. A soldier wrote to Anna Coleman lad saying like, thank you so much for what you did. My fiance no longer looks at me in disgust as she has a right to do. And there was one guy who they only have a shelf life of like one to two years. And she said one guy wore it, even though it looked horrible like i'm sure it was more frightening than originally but he kept it on because i'm sure it was that like safety and comforting start being like what's more terrifying this like slowly chipping yeah well it also probably is like a like a security blanket type thing Mm -hmm. of like yeah this looks scary but it's but they believe that they look scarier without it exactly um and and they said if any of them survived they were probably buried with the soldiers when they died that that makes sense and so they don't really have any of these masks um let me jump back give you a little background because we jumped straight into it right away um she was born july 15th in 1878 uh again she was a kind of a Boston socialite. She studied in Europe sculpture. Um, And 
so the kind of creation of this uh, mask and facial dismemberment um, department was started by Sir Harold Gillies, G-I-L-L-I-E-S. I I don't know. Um, He was born in New Zealand. He was a surgeon in London. And when the war broke out, he became a field ambulance doctor. Oh, I said that it was her husband. It was actually this guy that he was a field ambulance doctor. Um, And he worked in Paris for a brief stint with uh, a facial surgeon. And he got inspired to start doing plastic surgery. And then he created this mask department or this um, facial reconstruction department. And a subset of that was the mask department, which Anna Coleman Ladd founded and led. Like she ran this studio. Um, There's this quote, uh, Kathleen Scott, a noted sculptress, um, and she was a widow of Captain Robert Falcon Scott, who was like, did a lot of the Antarctica. Oh, okay. Like exploration. Um, She volunteered to help. uh, declaring with a characteristic aplomb that the men without noses are very beautiful, like antique marbles, and was just like able to find the beauty in this. Yeah, and they built noses over this. Um, they could, they were sent about, they could be sent about 2,000 patients in a big day. Uh, Coleman Ladd only made like 119, I think, out of again the number of yeah. 20,000 dis figured people um because they were so detailed uh gillies made more but they weren't as accurate depictions or as light like they were not focused on aesthetic they were focused on form and function um i referenced the show the nick in a previous episode uh it's all about like surgery in at the knickerbocker hospital which is where the basketball team, the Knicks, gets their name. I didn't know that. Look at this. Look, this is doubling yeah. down on history I didn't know about. And uh, and it was this hospital called the Nick. And at the turn of the century, it's talking about all these surgeons and like the amazing like progressions they made in mm-hmm. science and how it was still fucking awful. Yeah. Um. And like the main character, Clive Owens, like his like past flame shows up, and she uh. It's really sad. She has, I don't know what the storyline was it, but she uh, like lost part of her face in um, like just due to whatever. I think her husband gave her syphilis. It was awful. I'm like, wow, girl, leave a, him. Yeah. Anyway, so. If her husband gives you syphilis like, and you lose half your face. And go is, meet up with Clive Owen because he's. Go find Clive Owen. Even though he's a cocaine addict in the show, he's a babe. Um, anyway, so it's. She like comes to him because she he's she only trusts him. He's a great surgeon, and she has one of those like it's kind of like spectacles, and she takes mm-hmm. it off, and her nose is gone and whatnot, and you can just see the shame and the embarrassment, and she wants him to do like facial reconstruction surgery, and so they actually show like how they did it back then. So he like built the nose, like he actually used like skin grafts, and then what they would do is like her arm ended up being above her head and. She had this new nose, but it was like attached to her armpit um, because the blood flow, they needed the blood flow while it set. Well, and I think you could only do skin grafts, like early skin grafts, you could only do from the person like you yeah. have to be your own donor. yeah they didn't they didn't have like donors or whatever but so she well, i think like they just couldn't figure out a way to right make it like take basically and yeah heal well, correctly if it wasn't from the person exactly the and so that's why they had like they took a graft from wherever but 
they had like probably the butt. <laughs> her her arm was fashioned in like a sling kind of, and it was just above her head for like several days at a time, and and her nose was kind of sewn into her armpit so they could get the blood flow so that it would take because mm-hmm. if a skin graft yeah. doesn't take it like falls off or whatever, and so you we kind of got to see in that what the process was like and it was devastating. Um, so Harold, Harold Gillies was like, started doing this. He actually, uh, kind of the, one of the doctors, Francis Derwent Wood, who founded the masks for facial disfigurement under Wood or under, um, Gillies, he revolutionized skin grafting at the time. It didn't really exist much. And a lot of what we use today is based on what he did. Um, the studio for portrait masks, which Anna Coleman Ladd founded, um, they called it the Tin Noses Shop because they made you know they made it yeah. out of copper and whatnot. Um, so what yeah. a misnomer! If what a saying misnomer! That they made it out of tin and right. made out of copper. But so that's how this started. Harold Gillies uh, got really interested in in facial reconstruction, and then uh, Francis Derwent Wood was like, "Well, let's make masks for them." And then Anna Coleman Ladd was like, "Well, let's give them." I was like, "I'm a master craftsman." Yeah, let's Let give me them a make chance. This of, look amazing. Yeah, and there's in the video. Hey, y'all! It's it's officially a fall and I was freezing today so I'm wearing a blanket over my shoulders like a shawl and I brought a heating pad for my lap so I was just getting a little warm so I needed to take it off I'm so cozy right now um they said like when she painted them like she would get the blue tint for like where their beard was shaved you know so like they wouldn't have a five o'clock shadow but even when a man shaves like you can still see like where the beard would grow in like just incredibly detailed so that they and didn't beautiful. so that they didn't just look like porcelain dolls like they looked exactly well, they, i can't wait to post the pictures of the, this guys for, these are so cool they're so and well and the thing is they look they look like part of their faces but they describe them as looking um equally equally lifelike and lifeless because they are so accurate but they don't move like mm-hmm. when, like they can't move their mouth open when they're on um but they do show in the video <clears throat> or the recording of um like soldiers like smoking cigarettes through them and you know figuring that out they used human hair for the mustaches and uh and and the eyelashes if it was covering their face mm-hmm. or they would use like i think it what was it uh like tin or what, whatever they did for like marble statues to do the eyelashes they yeah. would actually use that what she would do is she would take pictures of them she would find pictures of what they looked like before, and then she would make it as accurately possible to how their face looked. Um, Y'all go to, go check out on uh, go to at Shared Pod on Instagram or Twitter, or also we'll post links to some mm-hmm. of these pictures in the show notes of, yeah. for this episode to to yeah. to see the because these the masks are like they're beautiful. And there was there was a guy. There's one a guy with a mustache, and like it's it's one of those turn of the century and so it's yeah, kind of it's long a rail, and a railroad villain uh, it's it's like a railroad villain one and it's it's made of human hair and like it's like waxed and it's or not waxed but like you know how he can style it however mm-hmm. he wants um so y'all know i'm a a lit nerd and i studied a lot of like victorian poetry and whatnot and some of it was around the world war one era there's this poet called wilfred wilfred owens um and he was a he was a poet, but he was also uh, a soldier during World War, World War One. 
And when he came back, part of his like, he talked a lot about how he went to a convalescence uh, hospital or whatever, where, Mm -hmm. where they would just like help you get back on your feet. And it was kind of when they started to discover shell shock and be like, how do we treat this? This is clearly. Yeah. How do we, how do we treat something that we can't see? It is an injury of the mind. And so they're like, we don't know how to do this. He ended up joining like a journal in this hospital. They would write articles and whatnot. He wrote poems for it. Um, There's this beautiful poem that he wrote called Dolce et Decorum S, which means uh, it is sweet and proper to die for one's country. But Dolce et Decorum S, pro patria mori. I know you all care about that. Anyways, I'd like to read a little bit of it. Go for it. Um, He didn't really have, he wasn't really a famous poet until after the war. He was one of the first people who was writing about shell shock and about what soldiers are going through emotionally afterwards. Um, So this is the end of the poem. It goes, if you could hear at every jolt, the blood come gurgling from forth corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud of vile incurable sores on innocent tongues. My friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie, dolce et decorum est, pro patria mori. So there was this big nationalism thing, you yeah. know? Like when, when a country goes to war, it's like die for your country. It's a noblest mm-hmm. cause. Like your nation is the highest honor. And he's like, no, man, we're all yeah, fucked like if up. You, if you had been there and if you had seen the things that like mostly, yeah. that everyone who's coming home has seen, you would not be everyone spreading rom- that nonsense. Yeah, everyone romanticizes war. If you watch like any war movie or even just like actual accounts for more when the war starts, everyone's super jazzed, you know, or before they go to the war, like, yeah, this is dope. I'm going to go, I'm going to go fight and be a hero. And then they get there. I'm like, dude, what did you expect? Mm -hmm. And they come back like broken and changed and war fucks with you. Um, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Happy Veterans Day. (laughs) Say it again. (laughs) Um, And again, honor to all the vets uh, because it is, yeah, it's, it's fucking hard, but like respect, but it is woof. Um, So yeah, she, she did this, this amazing thing for people. She gave them a sense of dignity after war. Uh, Some people's entire faces were blown off and they said, you know, like, People didn't want to look at you. And this guy said, you know, it's like his fiance looked at him with disgust. One of the soldiers came back and when he was actually wearing the mask that she made, he said his child like fled in horror because these looked lifelike, but they were also lifeless because they couldn't move and they couldn't react. You can see there's this actually it's really great in the in the film from back then. You can see the guy smiling like through the mask almost like you can kind of see it in his eyes and you can see his cheeks move, but the mouth doesn't. Yeah. And it's like, it's heartbreaking. World war one sucked. I called it world war one this time. You did. You did. Um, she was given the Legion d'honneur, the Legion of honor. I don't speak French, um, which is the highest uh, French order of merit for military and civil merits. Um, she was also given the order of St. Sava, which is a decoration of merits awarded by the kingdoms of Serbia, um, Serbs, Croats, and Slavians, and Yugoslavia. RIP Yugoslavia, they're now Slovakia, and I don't know. They, they're no long, there's no longer yeah, a country no named longer Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia. Um, after World War I, she 
kind of went back to sculpting. Uh, there's, uh, she, it says here, she depicted a decayed corpse on a barbed wire fence for a war memorial commission by the Manchester by the sea American Legion. Like this devastating like sculpture. Yeah. They said all of her works after the war, she did a lot of um, like bronze busts and whatnot with chiseled jaws that looked mask-like. Um, it's very haunting. Uh, and her, what is this? Another Halloween episode? Like, oh my gosh! Uh, she survived by she was survived by her daughter Gabriella May Ladd, who was the second wife of Kira Sedgwick's paternal, paternal great grandfather. So, all y'all, and, all and, y'all movie buffs out well, there, and Kira Sedgwick married to Kevin Bacon. Right? So we have our A six degrees, degrees of, of separation. <laughs> yes, um, you can see if you uh, at the Boston Women's Heritage Trail, uh, you can see one of her works that I believe was created before the war called Triton babies. It's in a, it's like this, you know, babies in a fountain. A lot of her sculpture before the war was, they said like, uh, portrait busts that were unremarkable. They're very general faces and kind of made it seem like she was a great artist, but all of her busts were just kind of like just ordinary faces and ordinarily done. And when I read that, I was like, that's perfect for mask making. Like yeah. you don't want these people to look remarkable and chiseled. Do you want them, you want to, them look to look natural? Like they, yeah. They, they were, they're, they're real human beings. Yeah. They should look like real human beings. Yeah. Um, so Anna Coleman lad, uh, hats off to you, madam. I think that's so cool because it's, it's the first time they kind of addressed or were like, Oh, there's, there's a mental illness factor to this and body dysmorphia fucks with you on top of PTSD mm -hmm. and like having some semblance of normalcy or yeah. your face. It's hard. It's hard enough to function when you come back from war. Yeah. To also then have to deal with like the a visual stigma on top of it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> downer for your folks, <laughs> but, uh, but also a, a quite noble act from Anna Coleman lad respect to you. Maladie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've been holding that in for a while. Actually, I just thought of it. So, you know, off the dome, just like DJ Rip, one might say. So smart. <laughs> so smart. So smart. Uh, funny that you should take us back to World War One. What? Uh, for I have decided, uh, and for our listeners at home, in honor of Veterans Day, we did, we did like loosely say like, let's try to do, let's try to do like some military related mm, topics. Yeah. Um, so you take us back to World War One. Where are you going, Natalie? I'm gonna go to World War Two. <laughs> when I when I was like, um, oh guys, I'm doing World War One. She was like, oh weird, I'm doing World War Two. So that I don't know her topic, y'all. Uh, I'm not cheating. But actually, you kind of do because we both have almost done this topic before. What? So uh, this let me well let me paint you a picture first. Do it. Give me some you Fanny know, Pemberton you action. Know, I love to paint a picture. Uh, so w World War Two. Uh, I don't feel like I need to really paint a picture or give a lot of background there. Pretty, we, give, we give a pretty visual account just now. Yeah, pretty me. well. World War II, pretty well, pretty well covered ground. Yeah, uh, in the history books. Um, but let's talk briefly uh, about the role of women in World War II. Let's do. Um, they 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 worked there uh, and as like with the military and in the military as like nurses, truck drivers, doing clerical work. Uh, Repairing airplanes, being searchlight operators. Uh, apparently, there were a lot of female searchlight operators. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, like air raid signaling, etc. And then back home, uh, 
they were pulled into a lot of like war work, even if they weren't like in actual like military service jobs, um, taking up jobs left behind by men, uh, helping with rationing, recycling, working in munitions factories, et cetera, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot. Et cetera, et cetera, uh, yes. Et cetera. Rogers and Hammerstein, right? Oh, is that King that, and I, is that? That's Rogers and Hammerstein, right? Yeah, I think so. Shall we dance? One, two, three. Uh, Yul uh, Brenner, you are a, a wonderful man. I love Yul Brenner. <laughs> it's not was it about Deborah, him. Was it Deborah Kerr in that too? It's not about that. Sorry, yes. I just want to. I just want to brag on all my movies. What? Knowledge. What is it about me talking about World War II and you just going world deep into musicals? Um, you know, it's always going to be a deep cut for me, and my mind wanders. All right. Uh, there's, uh, so, so, um, a lot of, a lot of nations, especially the, uh, uh, allied forces had a lot of like female paramilitary and like auxiliary organizations. Um, in most cases you couldn't, I know for a fact in, for Canada's, you couldn't enlist if you were, were married or had kids. Um, and oftentimes those organizations weren't actually sanctioned by like the military themselves. Um, and but yes, so like women were, were helping with the war effort, and if they could be drafted or if they could actually help in the actual military, they would. But they were pretty much never allowed to do anything that was actual combat. Right. So they could not exchange fire. They were like running around helping transfer supplies and yeah. and whatnot but they they, if they got army if they, field nurses too yeah but that's but, but that's what i'm saying like they're, they're not fighting yeah um and so then over in the soviet union you have the night witches <gasps> oh my god this was gonna be one of my first we had talked about this we when both we were, talked about doing this topic when we did, i was gonna do this topic uh a couple weeks ago and that's for when scared i found history well i was gonna do it the week that i wound up doing the amazons of dahomey yeah uh, because i was researching the night witches and i found out about the amazons of dahomey because they're listed as like another all-female regiment yeah 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 so i do know that you know like a little bit about this because right, you were right. talking about doing it for they were supposed to make a movie episode. of this there are movies well like documentaries but yeah there's there's been a couple of things that like have been made and a couple of things that like didn't Oh, they've been been in production for years or halted or stalled. Anyway, um, tell us what they are. Yeah. Sorry, I got excited. Uh, I mean, how can you not get excited? They're called the Night Witches. Like, come on, y'all. So over in the Soviet Union, you have the Night Witches, also known as the 588th Night Bomber Regiment, an all-female bomber regiment flying around, dropping bombs and terrorizing the Nazis. Like, what a great job description. Right? Can you imagine the resume when you come back? Ugh. Just casual Nazi terrorizing. And this was something that, like, just from, like, the description of, like, oh, I'm, like, an all-female Soviet fighter pilot regiment in World War II, I was already, like, I'm engaged. I'm, <laughs> I am down and I am with I'm and for with this. this. Uh, and it was just another one of those things that the more I read, the more I was, like, this is interesting and I like it a lot. Um, so they kind of, they owe their start to, uh, Colonel Marina Roskova, a Soviet pilot who was known as the Russian Amelia Earhart, um, because she was the first female navigator in the Soviet air force. And she had hold, held a lot of like long distance records for flying. Um, and she had been fielding all of these letters from women all over 
Russia wanting to join the war effort, but like, ac- like Can't, actually, or how do you co- do this? Like, yeah. but they wanted to actually like go into combat. Like, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them, a motivator was that they had lost somebody in the war. Some like of them- Rachel Vice from uh, B- Enemy at the Gates, mm-hmm. starring Jude Just Law and like- Rafe. Ray Fines? No. Is it Joseph Fines or is Joseph Fines? Joseph Fines. Uh, is <laughs> it Voldemort or is it Shakespeare in Love? Um, <laughs> but they, uh, yeah, so, the, so there, there were just a lot of like revved up women who were like, we could be doing more. Uh, we're sick of seeing our like brothers and our husbands and our fathers coming back in coffins or not coming back at all. Mm. Uh, we're sick of being like looking across our fields and seeing the Germans like encroaching on our territory. I'm just picturing Kate McKinnon's uh, Russian character from. Yes, that's 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 who it is. Uh, it's just... God, that character is great. <laughs> I love that character. Um, so they're like, "Hey, we want to get on the front line," but everyone is like, "Lol, women." Uh, until October 8th, 1941, when desperation finally won out, uh, partially thanks to Hitler's Operation Barbarossa, which was the codename for his big invasion of the Soviet Union, um, that as the Germans were encroaching more and more on their territory since, like, I think that operation started in June 1941. So by October 1941, Stalin is like, Okay, um, the ladies can fight now, dude. Russia, like, the, like towards the end, they were. I feel like they were scrambling, and they were just throwing anyone who could hold yeah. a gun. Well, because they were like, "Oh no, now the Nazis are in our backyard." Oh no, oh no, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Stalin <laughs> issues an order to deploy three women's air force units. The 588th was the only one that actually remained exclusively female. Um, one of them had like planes that uh, basically no one knew how to fly except for like already a select group of men. So, uh, and one of them had like guns or something that like you, you could only really reach if you were of a certain height. Um, but uh, for the 588th, everyone from pilots to commanders to mechanics were ladies. Uh, eventually though, actually even the 588th had like a couple of male mechanics and a couple, uh, like, like a male staff driver and yeah. searchlight operatives. But for the yeah. most part, hey man, now you're going to be the searchlight. Operator. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so they were the only one that for the most part remained all female from the get go. Like I think they, the other two didn't make it through training without having some, mm-hmm. uh, men on the line. Baby steps. Yeah. Um, so this made the Soviet Union the first nation in the war to officially allow women to engage in combat hey. versus just help transfer supplies and stuff. Yeah. Uh, one of the sources that I read said, like, this made the Soviet Union the first nation to allow women to engage in combat. And I was like, that's Y'all haven't heard of the Amazons of Tahomey. True. Yeah. I was like, that's not true. Um, Go listen to episode 10 hey, where I talk about the Amazons of Dahomey. Hey, history books. This is why we do shared history because we're going to share with you the stuff that you're not putting in the books. You told a lie. You're cooking the books. Uh, That's what that means, right? And so it took me a little <laughs> while to figure out that I, that like to find something that like, to uh, that basically leveled it with like, in this war. Yeah. <laughs> it was a first nation in this war. Um, but cool. All that jazz. That's they, like Andy Murray when they're like, you're the first person to win uh, 
two Olympic gold medals for tennis or something. He's like, nah, I'm pretty sure Venus and Serena yeah. have like quite a few between them. Yeah. I love Andy Murray. Uh, so, uh, so Stalin green lights it and Roskova, our, our Russian Amelia Earhart starts recruiting. She gets more than 2000 applications. Oh my gosh. Uh, she selects 400 women for each unit, all volunteers, mostly between the ages of 17 and 26. And they were, like I said, a lot of folks who like wanted, want like they either wanted the work or they like wanted revenge. Uh, 400 for three, 400 for E. So, so there are three, um, Battalions. There are three, yeah. So the math there is, is yeah. 1,600. I don't do math. Boom! What's four times three? Uh, that's 1,200. <laughs> yeah. I don't do math, and even no! I knew that was wrong. No. Uh, I'm not good at my threes. Uh, so they, so all of the, everyone who was selected goes to Engels, which is a small town north of Stalingrad, uh, where there was the Engels School of Aviation, and they get a heckin' crash course. Uh, probably literally i was just gonna say i hope not literally uh in in being in an air force like in everything like uh they just have a few months to learn everything that these male soldiers have spent years learning uh all recruits trained as pilots navigators maintenance and ground crew um and you know also during this crash course uh endured just a whole lot of sexism no, fun. I don't believe that for so a second. Much, so much fun. Uh, like, great. We have to learn five people's jobs in an eighth of the amount of time while being like belittled. Great. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Dope. Uh, they also got shit supplies. Uh, everything that they got was hand-me-downs. So there's all like oversized men's uniforms, uh, like massive boots one of the things i read was like they were getting like size 42 european size 42 <laughs> like some big feet uh size 42 boots that they had to like stuff with like linens oh and whatnot so that they could keep them on their feet so I'm they're sure walking they around had, with like clown shoes i'm basically. sure they had some killer like belted looks though oh yeah some real good great accessories <laughs> uh yeah so they have like these like massive shoes on their feet uh, and then all their hair was cut short. Um, so Mulan, baby. <laughs> and a dramatic reveal with a single blade. Well, they, they cut like, their ha- all of their hair through They were perfectly. like, let's get down to business. Mm-hmm, to defeat the Nazis. Nazis. Uh, they had complain about the misery of wearing men's underwear. In fact, this is a fun sidebar. Uh, two of them, two mechanics, uh, Reja uh, Karadinova and Tamara Frolova were sentenced to 10 years of imprisonment for dismantling a flare and using the small silk parachute that's on the flare to sew undergarments. Oh, my God. Because they were like, I'm not wearing these giant man's underpants. It's yeah. bad enough that these shoes are huge. <laughs> I They were sentenced 10 years for prison. For, well, I guess they, they, were, to- they were really like, low on supplies and everything yeah. so that's what it, yeah okay. they were like you can't dismantle a flare we need that uh but also 10 years seems excessive they wound up uh actually like being still used on they, they just weren't uh permitted to fly anymore they were like they had to stay back and be like 
mechanics. Yeah. yeah. Um, wait, you said they were imprisoned, right? Yeah, they were sentenced to imprisonment, and then they were like, "Wait, J.K., we need you." <laughs> Just kidding. Bl- bring uh, your bloomers. Yeah, bl- yeah. Bring those. Bring those silky parachute bloomers. The, the first parachute pants. Um, <laughs> Can't touch this. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And they trained on shit planes, like basically toys. Uh, like uh, it, it was called the uh, oh 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 I didn't practice this one <laughs> <laughs> the Polikarpov Po two airplane aircraft a two seated open cockpit biplane uh, made of plywood frames and stretched canvas that was dated and obsolete already by the time Wait, that their canvas was yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just plywood and stretched canvas. Uh, that's like those kids. This is like a, that's a like high the, school production of an airplane. That's like what. the kids who put like like cardboard wings on like, I'm going to jump off the roof. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if I can fly. They're literally they were they're actually, like flying in a kite. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a Pinewood Derby in the air. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. In the war. Uh, like these were. They these, used witchcraft these were to like, make these go. <laughs> <laughs> these are basically crop dusters. And even for use as like crop dusting planes were kind of out of use. Like you had... A, you had a sad farm if you were still using, <laughs> uh, but uh, historychannel.com, uh, history.com literally refers to them as, quote, a coffin with wings. Jesus. Um, because it's just plywood. Uh, they were light, slow, uh, had no like defensive armor on them at all. Uh, and were, as you can guess, highly flammable. Oh, gee, no. <laughs> There's fly in a tinderbox. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and so, did these have guns on them? No. So, well, I guess that's good because you don't got to worry about well, yeah, like, You're getting shot sp- at. Oh, yeah. That's also an accurate description of me in my 30s. <laughs> Light, slow, and highly flammable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rip. Is that why there's no candles here? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Raskova trains all of these, uh, all of these teen, like teenagers, uh, in their tinderbox airplanes, uh, with like no nonsense military manner. She's like, this is summer camp. Like we all wanted this, right? And we go, who would play Martina? Is it Martina in uh, in the movie? Marina. Marina. Yeah. Marina. Would it be Uh, Marina and the diamonds? Uh, you know, knowing just how I'm just still upset about every time any time and it's it's gonna be a british actor and they're gonna somehow have a british accent that's what's gonna happen oh my god i watched chernobyl like i started watching it mm-hmm. everyone has a british accent in that have you not heard my recent outrage about uh the radioactive the movie that's coming out about uh, marie curie and everyone has a gd british accent yeah in that. you sent me the you sent me i'm the like tr- she's polish and she's in france why was the, everyone british the movie's called radioactive it's, called radioactive, right? it's with yeah. rosamund pike mm-hmm. love rosamund pike real and she's I'm sure it was not her choice. I'm sure the director yeah. was like, we're going to do y'all British accents. But like the actors in it, who who plays Pierre? Oh, I, oh, I don't remember. I think it's uh, the, the German actor who was in Rush, the Spielberg movie. Maybe. I don't know. This is, again, me just like. I just saw like a teaser stuff. trailer. I didn't see the like teaser, a full well, one. And it also doesn't look great. Yeah. It's like. Everyone in it is good enough actors to use the correct accent. Yeah. And it, it just didn't, the way they structured Anytime it. Anytime they do something like that, it bring it just, to me, evokes like 
early Hollywood. Like, it just takes me back to, like, like the transatlantic like, accent. No, I was going to say to, like, Ben Hur and, like, yeah. things that take place, at, like, in the Middle East mm-hmm. or, like, and, oh, yeah. And then, like, or, yeah. And it's like everyone is, like, white and wearing lots of darker pancake makeup. Mm, yeah. Uh, and doing, and are just using British accents. Yeah. But um, but the movie they do like weird flashbacks or something. I don't know. I was I was disappointed with the trailer. I hope it goes well. I also hope Renee Zellweger kills it in Judy. Yeah. Just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> also, you know how she Just got plastic put those good vibes out there. You know how yeah. plastic she got plastic surgery and everyone was like giving her shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. She looks insanely like Judy Garland. So in my mind, I'm like she like commits yeah, to the role. Really invested in this <laughs> one role. Uh, but yes, yeah, so so, so uh, Sorry, Raskova, really Raskova trains them all. Um, so just to put this kind of crash course in perspective, the Stalin is like, okay, fine. You ladies, we need you. You can go to combat in October of 1941. They were training by early 1942 and they were flying their first mission by June in 1942. So October, 1941, Stalin says like, yep. Okay. They're already like flying missions in June of 1942. Uh, it was baptism by fire. Also, probably literally. literally, because uh, since they were super flammable, uh, Nazis would use, I'm sure other, I'm sure the other forces use these too. But the if they got hit with a tracer round, a tracer round has a pyrotechnic charge and it like hooks onto your oh, shit. Um, and then, so, and then it goes boom and they would literally burst into flame. So true baptism by fire. Jesus. Um, but that mission in June 1942 was uh, was their first mission and the first of many for the 588th. By the time they were disbanded, these ladies flew more than 30,000 missions in total, or about 800 total per pilot and navigator. I wonder what most of the rest of the Air Force did, the male, their male counterparts. Well, they're still doing stuff because like, they're using all the other... Equipment, but I mean, like, did were the male pilots doing eight hundred individually? Well, so it's interesting, and I'll get into this in like a second. Like, I I don't think so. That's eight hundred missions, and each mission could involve anywhere between eight and eighteen like flights. Um, because and so he's what their missions like? Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I'm glad I made you ask. Um, they were incredibly dangerous, but also uh, super uncomfortable because it was it's an open cockpit. Uh, oh my god! And they only flew at night, and I'll get into why in a minute. But they only did these missions at night, um, and it's freaking cold. Uh, yeah, they're in Russia. They're completely exposed to the elements flying through the air, um, and they don't have a heating pad on their lap like I do right now. <laughs> Uh, their feet would freeze in their boots. They'd get frostbite all the time. Like if they had to like lean over the side of the plane to like get a better view in the winter, like immediately, like they'd just be like, and I can't feel my face. Uh, they'd constantly be flying through just like a wall of enemy fire with no real defenses on their airplane or way to return fire other than the bombs that they're carrying. Uh, so they were primarily bombers. Yes. They're Sorry, bombers. They're a I've bomber just, I've regiment. Derailed so much of this. So much bit blow. They're a bombing regiment. I apologize. Uh, So, uh, plus, you know, they're super flammable. Uh, One pilot said that she landed uh, and she counted 42 bullet holes in her plane after one run 
Uh, and she's like, there were holes in my map. There were holes in my helmet. Uh, and she oh, was, my God. And she was like, wow. All right. Cool, 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 cool. Um, but uh, they they flew, and I just like this term, they flew uh, harassment bombing and precision bombing missions. But I like harassment bombing just as an idea. Like, yes. that's what you do to, like, your siblings. You just, <laughs> you just, you just bomb them with I'm not touching you. I'm not yeah, touching that's, you. That's harassment I'm not bombing, bombing you. I'm not bombing you. Uh, uh, missions against the German military. Uh, the idea of them th- of it being called precision bombing also is uh, hilarious once I tell you uh, what they were actually equipped with and dealing with. And how they had to fly these missions. This is the tactic they would use. The first planes would go out and go in as bait. Uh, so <laughs> no. they're just there. They're just flying through to attract the German spotlights, partially because they needed the German spotlights so that they could see where they were going. Like they needed. They were the literally flying blind. Yeah, they're like, we need the illumination. So I guess like it helps that y'all are now pointing this light at us and shooting. They needed a little illumination. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hope uh, take a drink. Yeah, yeah, Rip's just gonna unplug Rip. everything. Uh, Rip has like just Im- like immense self control. He's pulled his mic over to like comment on a few things and has literally just moved in shaked his head he's like no Mm -mm. and then there's me who i'm like (laughs) if i think it i must say (laughs) (laughs) if i think it i speak it uh they uh so so, okay so the the bait planes go and they uh and they attract the german spotlights and then they drop a flare uh hopefully one that still has a parachute on it not um, so bloomers uh to uh to light up the t- intended target and then these bait planes let's say there's like two of them fly off in like opposite directions twisting and turning to avoid the fire that's all being directed at them uh and then meanwhile the rear plane has been like chilling in idle in the darkness wait <laughs> just idling in the air in the uh and will in glides in the darkness basically engine as off as it can be for like silence yeah and drops the bomb so they're like hey hey look at us shoot at us we're hang gliding over here yeah and these these two are like just coasting in like those uh those little wooden planes you can put together at a dollar store what were the casualty rates i'm gonna get i knew oh my god i'm just but it's just like uh, this is crazy this is insane um the that's uh that's part of why they were called the night witches is when they were idling and gliding in what I'm going to refer to as budget stealth mode. <laughs> like this is 100% out of necessity. This wasn't like a strategic thing. It's like this is the only way we're going to get the bomb where it needs yeah. to go. Um the sound that their, you know, toy planes that they're flying uh gliding in the wind would make sounded like broomsticks to the Nazis. The Nazis thought, thought it sounded like a sweeping broomstick. So that's why the Nazis named them the night witches or the knock texan uh it's a bunch of uh broom hildas over yeah there. uh and then the soviets like the like the women were basically like yeah yeah it's pretty badass we'll take that we dig it and then they adopted the 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 nazis nickname for them as like their own little you know how soldiers painted like like pinup dolls and stuff on their mm-hmm. on their planes i want i just want them to like have like i don't know like broomsticks on it or like 
<laughs> the genie from Bewitched. Or, yeah. or like, they did. They did paint. They did paint their planes. So I, yeah. I, I like. I should. I was should see if I could I would find love a picture of one that says like what because they did. They just kind of casually mentioned that they they would yeah. paint their planes. Well, and I mean, decorate them, and they're painting on canvas. So I'm yeah, sure so it should be it beautiful. Was. Just some uh, pastel work. So due to the weight capacity uh, and probably the budget, um, they didn't have parachutes on the planes. Um, they, I think they eventually get parachutes in like by like the end of the war. So like 1944, they get parachutes. Oh my God. Uh, they also did not have radar, guns, or radios. They used rulers, stopwatches, flashlights, pencils, maps, and compasses. And they fly in at night... <laughs> sounds like a goddamn science fair project yeah it's literally it's a high school production of a bomber mission (laughs) oh my god it's it's yes it's they're doing it all by hand um i can't even do long division yeah you can't i can't even do you can't even do do my times table you can't even do three times 400 uh (laughs) their their plane's maximum speed was actually slower than the stall speed of nazi aircraft which ironically actually meant that they could maneuver easier. I was going to say, like, you say they were doing this, like, gliding and everything out of necessity, but I wonder what their success rate was, comparatively they, speaking, like, since they, they were, again, like, flying stealth mode. They, uh, they, oh, uh, what is it? Um, they were the most highly decorated unit in the Soviet Air Force. So, like, because they, they were getting were, shot at more. Often. Well, but they were also like, like they were critical to the war. They were yeah. taking out targets like at night, uh, and uh, oh, there's some there's some good stuff coming up. I'm I just so, want to okay, get. Sorry, it. So I just sorry, no, I just want to finish explaining all the shit they didn't have. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so they could maneuver a little bit easier than uh, with more agility than the Nazis could, uh, and it's because their planes were garbage. Uh, <laughs> Hey, you're welcome. They were literally like, yeah, we can like make this turn tighter because we are, we cannot go fast. So we're not balancing like how fast we can take this turn and how tight we can make it. And we're also doing all that math in our heads. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're all, we're all, what's that guy from that TV show numbers all the time. Yeah. We're all Rain Man. We are all Russell Crowe and we're seeing. We're we're beautiful minding this entire (laughs) operation. Um, uh, but it also meant that they had to literally dive if they were under enemy fire. Like they, they, cause they couldn't, they didn't have any, they couldn't shoot back and they didn't have armor on their planes. Yeah. So like if they were under enemy fire, they're like, all right, just got to, just got to go woo and nosedive. Like um, a Ronsky faint. It's funny that you say that because <laughs> I am just thinking of, uh, of, uh, uh, launch, launch pad McQuack. Uh, I'm just thinking of DuckTales. They would be, they would all be excellent seekers on the Quidditch team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because they're witches. Bit blown. Uh, uh, they could also only carry two bombs at a time. One under each wing. If a bomb got stuck in the rack when they were like, go bomb, go. Uh, you'd have to climb out on the wing while you're flying. On the cardboard. On the cardboard in the wind, in the cold times. Uh, lay flat, you know, just give it a push. <laughs> Like all those, <laughs> you'd have to ghost. The, you'd have to ghost ride your broomstick. All the, all the, wait, wait, wait. They would just be like, "I hope this is gliding." No, they, there's oh, two okay. in the, there's okay. two in the plane. Like you have the pilot and the navigator, but one of them would have to just like walk out on the. All of the like Mission Impossible's where like Tom Cruise is hanging out on the wing, and you're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, he's doing his own stunts or whatever." But like, y- you're not. No one does this. 
you do did it. you do if you're drive if you're flying a toy you plane would... at, over the Nazis at night in complete darkness and your bomb sticks. Oh my god. Um, the weight of the bombs meant that they had to fly at lower altitudes, which made them an easier target, which is uh, hence the night only mission. So that's why they were flying at night because oh, okay. they had they had to fly so low because it's like it was it's like a cardboard plane carrying two bombs. <laughs> Um, it also meant that they had to fly back and forth a lot between, like, between runs. Uh, so that's what I was saying. To make any meaningful impact on uh, on German troops, they'd send out they'd send out a forty person. A, sorry, they'd send out four four the, 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 math. It's not even. I'm not even doing math. I'm just telling you the numbers, and I'm struggling. They'd send out forty two person crews. So there's about eighty women in the 588th battalion uh, was this like they, they couldn't hold enough fuel well, and it's that it's just that they could only hold two bombs at a time so if they actually wanted to make a difference oh. every time they flew a mission they'd have to send out 40 crews each would execute eight to eight eight to 18 missions uh per night so it'd literally be uh bomb return refuel bomb again all the while shaking because you're like freezing your ass off i'm i just googled the night witch's planes it literally like yeah you know those like this is like balsa wood, the, the balsa wood like uh plane models that yeah, people that you make. make like a dollar store and you can just like throw like the little gliders or yeah. you're talking about even the fancier ones no, like, the fancy i'm talking ones, about the dollar like, store i mean like the balsa wood ones it's like i'm going to michael's and i'm mm-hmm. getting my craft hood mm-hmm and I'm gonna wind up my rubber band propeller. You can see like the the slats on the the ru- tail rudder, like oh yeah. my. God. Uh, so so they got their name night witches uh, because they were always flying at night, and because uh, the the Nazis the the sound of them gliding was literally the only indicator that war, or warning that the Nazis had that they were coming, um, and because since they didn't use radios because they didn't give them radios, uh, no radio locators could pick them up. Uh, the planes were too small to show up on radar or infrared locators. I think also because they were flying so low, they wouldn't show up either. Um, so that sweeping broom sound was the only warning the Germans had. They were literally being haunted by witches. They were hated so much by the Nazis that any German airman who downed one was automatically awarded the prestigious Iron Cross medal. Shut up. Like, if they took one down, they immediately were like, you get a medal because these bitches be driving us crazy (laughs) with their harassment bombing. It's like like shooting clay pigeons. It's just like, Paul! And if you do that... Here's a medal because that's how much the Nazis hated them. The Nazis had all these theories about why, because they were being beat by women and they yeah. knew that they were a female uh, regiment. They had all these theories about like why they were like so successful. Um, one theory was that they were all criminals. Uh, they were all like burglars and thieves and they were being forced to fight as punishment. So like they're just really good at like doing stealth things at night because they're all petty criminals uh but my the more popular theory was that their ice ice breathe wow uh special guest adam sandler on the podcast uh their the more popular theory was that their eyesight had been enhanced in a soviet government experiment and they had superior night vision because of that y'all nazis you were doing the weird experiments yeah 
Also, I love that they're like giving them backstories. Yeah, like, yeah. you know Projecting what? Much. Yeah, they're like they're just they're dreaming. They're in their little Nazi tents. They've got their their little Fanny Pemberton Twitter account. Yeah, and they're like, this is. But what it's I actually imagine. pigeons that they're like sending. This back is and forth. all that can happen is that they must be. They must have been experimented. They must on. be. They must be experimented. It's the only explanation. <laughs> the only uh, uh, shot that keeps running through my head throughout this entire story is just like. You see, like a speck go through the air at night, and then like pan down to a Nazi just going, "Der Witches." <laughs> it's a bird. It's a plane. It's a witch. Uh, but yeah, there's no sorcery involved. Uh, they just had really crappy planes and were great pilots. <laughs> like they just, just get- like natural quality skill. Yeah, they effort. just like were, they just did the best that they could with what they were given Which using really using the shortcomings good. of their supplies to their advantage. Uh, they did use their navigation Preach. pencils to draw an eyeliner. So like they were like, it's cold, but we looking hot. We've got our cinched belts. We've got our clown shoes. And you know what? We're going to make our eyes pop while we're at it. Yeah. Like well, you can't see because it's dark. Uh, but this eyeliner really brings off out the frostbite in my nose. It's not for you. It's for me. Mm-hmm. Look good, feel good, play good. I want to look like a snack while I'm harassment <laughs> the Nazis. Like terrorize the Nazis, but like make it fashion. Um, <laughs> as opposed to Hugo Boss, which is who is just making Nazi fashion. Um, yeah, dude. I didn't realize Hugo didn't Boss was straight up. Well, I found out this recently. Because a friend of mine was going to name their dog Hugo, and mm-hmm. then they like did some research. like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. No, thanks. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so once deployed, they were part of the 4th Air Army on the Southern Front. Uh, they were later redesignated a bunch of times, including earning the Guards designation, which is uh, a designation that is reserved for elite units and formations in the Soviet Army. Hell yeah. Um, so all told, here's their casualties. Uh, all told, they lost around 30 to 32 pilots, depending on like who, what source it was. Um, so like around 30 pilots. And how long was their battalion like functioning? Um, 42 to the end of the war. So And they had 1,200 people? Well, so this is just this regiment only had, had 80 oh, uh, okay. had eighty people who were actually going up in planes, like 40 navigators, 40 Got pilots. It. Um, so they, they lost a little under half of, uh, the pilots, um, uh, and including they did lose Marina Roscova on like, I think it was her first mission to the, like her first mission to the front line. Uh, her, she didn't make it back. Um, but also decided Tilda Swinton's going to be, you know what? Not a bad call. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, so 24 of the of the flyers were awarded the title Hero of the Soviet Union. Uh, a few of them weren't from the Soviet Union. Like one earned the title Hero of Kazakhstan, and like one, and like a handful are a different from a different nation. Um, but uh, they were the most highly decorated unit in the Soviet Air Force. Ruskova, who died on that mission. Uh, in January of 1943, received the fir- the first state funeral of World War II uh, and oh had her God. ashes buried in the Kremlin. Uh, still, even though they were out there kicking ass, uh, they were disbanded six months after the end of the war and they weren't included in the victory parade in Moscow. We'll give you a state funeral, full on throw you in the Kremlin, but we won't. 
Yeah. The, you don't get to stand in our parade. Yeah. None of, so there's like a lot of like in the victory day parade, like the pilots would fly over. They were doing, yeah. <laughs> they were doing flyovers. Uh, and they they cited the they said that they couldn't include them in the Victory Day parade because their planes were too slow. We didn't make it in time. No, it's like they like they're like we can't invite you to this because the garbage planes that we gave you are too garbage for our parade. They were they weren't too garbage for you to use to kill a bunch of Nazis and, and help us get turn all, the tides of seriously. war. But they're too slow for just like our vision for this parade. It's just like not aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. It's like we just like really want to choreograph this parade down to the minute. Man, I really hope Marina got full on Evita style state funeral. It's like I, I think and it's insane that it was like 1943 now. and that was the first state funeral of the entire war yeah. for the Soviets. Um, but yeah, so they, uh, they did all the fight and got, got, they got some glory, but like they're not pointy hats off to you ladies. Mm -hmm. My my little witchy hat. (laughs) But yep. So that's, uh, so, so, uh, fun fact, uh, people always like draw witches with like pointy, pointy witchy feet. Uh, but really they were, uh, were wearing size <laughs> 42 <laughs> combat boots. Uh, every time I draw a witch from now on, they're going to be wearing clown shoes. People mm-hmm. are like, that's not accurate. I was like, like wow. oh, really? Um, also, did you know that dog fighting, like you know, plain dog fighting, mm-hmm. it started, the way it started was... Did the Nazis start it? I don't know. Oh, okay. But it was, <laughs> it was like, I think it was World War One. Oh, they didn't. The Nazis didn't well, when when they started using airplanes in wars, mm-hmm. they didn't have guns attached to them, and so the planes would actually, if you were flying a plane, it was for like correspondence or something, mm-hmm. and they were not great planes. They were very open and exposed, and they would be passing like the the German. I think this is World War One. They'd be passing Germans sometimes, and they would just bring a pistol and be like, "I mean, while I'm here." <laughs> Boom. And so it was literally just like just handguns and airplanes. It was just handguns and airplanes. It was like straight up Indiana Jones in because I feel like that's how he would fight if you were on a plane. There's an episode of and then they uh, and then they're like, well, th- we're doing stuff like let's throw guns on this. Yeah. Uh, let's like build a gun into this thing <laughs> uh, so we don't have to keep remembering to put it in our carry on innovation. Because <laughs> you know what? We got we got a extra yeah the guys don't on. don't you don't pack firearms in your um, carry-on. fun fun fact uh all the world war ii uh planes flew spirit <laughs> that was not worth it uh, <laughs> let's cut that out rip <laughs> you can't just cut you can't just cut a joke that didn't land the way you wanted it to i can pass. do whatever i want uh it's funny that okay so this is a really dumb thing that connects your topic and my topic. But I recently watched all of Miss Fisher's murder mysteries oh and God. all of Miss Fisher's modern murder mysteries. And she does. And so it takes place um, after World War II, mm. but there and in Australia. But there's a uh, there's an episode that deals with uh, with like old timey plastic surgery and skin grafts. Yeah. Uh, and it's because of like a vet from the war. And then uh, there's also an episode uh, that there's uh, things like multiple episodes that deal with uh, women not being like allowed to have their like a pilot's license in mm-hmm. uh, in Australia, and in one of them there's there's like spoiler alert for a show that's been out for like a couple of years and isn't on Netflix right now anyway, so you can't watch it. Um, 
but there's a there's an episode where somebody is uh, a a woman is dressing like a man to pass as a man in the military because Australia's Air Force didn't allow women and they were already like an accomplished. What's the show called? This oh, is, oh, that was Miss from Fisher. Miss Murder Mysteries. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great TV shows about like women it, during doing the war mm-hmm. during the war efforts. There's there's a show called Land Girls, which I haven't seen. There's there's a Canadian television show about women who were working in munitions factories, um, and 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 about how Italians were interned. We had an episode yeah, yeah. about Japanese, Japanese internment and, camps. Yeah. Like Italians are being interned as well, um, and it's not talked about as much. Um, there's this great show which scared the hell out of me called. Uh, Oh, what's it called? It's a British show. It's kind of like a, a serial killer thriller because they used a lot of women as code breakers. Yeah. Like, oh, and, and, uh, I know what you're talking the about. Imitation game. That's, called. that's another Is one about called? code breaking. It's called, what's the, it's what was called, the, it's called whatever, like the places that they would like meet It was, or it was the main, um, intelligence. Yeah. Uh, uh, factor of London. Anyway, they were code breakers in the war and mm-hmm. like, fucking killing it and great at what they and do. And then they're like bored after the and war then after and solving the war, murders. Yeah, yeah. After the war, they're supposed to just like go back to being yeah. housewives and like they're doing the crosswords and she's like, no, let's start solving like really elaborate yeah. serial killers. Yeah. And it, it scared me because there's literally a scene where it's like someone's under the bed and I checked under my bed every night before I went to sleep after that. I, uh, I just pulled up a list of, because you had mentioned like, isn't there a movie or they wanted to make a movie about yeah. the night witches. Um, there's a bunch that like were made or like they've been used inspired characters in a lot of different like books and movies, uh, or plot lines in, um, like comic strips and whatnot. Um, there's a tabletop role-playing game called Night Witches. Um, actually there's multiple tabletop role-playing games called. That would be. This is pretty great. (laughs) Um, but, uh, there was, um, a movie. That was that the that was supposed to be like a UK and like Russian movie that didn't get made because they couldn't get a Hollywood studio to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is uh, there's an episode of uh, Doctor Who. There's an audio drama of Doctor Who featuring the Second Doctor. Um, that's a historical adventure with the Night Witches. Um, there's there are characters there's a character in world war uh by harry turtle dove that is a member of the night witches there's uh, two turtle doves there's a <laughs> there's uh but there's yeah there's a lot of books like telling the story of like missing or disappearing uh night witches and then there's a book more re- that came out within the last like 10 years called the huntress that tells a fictitious narrative through the eyes of one of the night witches so, that's dope but there there's there's documentaries and stuff i'll see if i can find some that it i can just, post it just it seems just like perfect yeah. for like a, a movie to be made um i figured out a uh, bletchley circle yes was the name of the code breaking tv show um starring hattie morahan who's fabulous it's a great if you like true crime serial killer it's basically just like a period piece of that i love how much of this podcast becomes just us like referencing things that we already watch or telling you to watch things well because i was gonna say hattie morhan um, i love historical fiction uh the masterpiece classic version of sense and sensibility which is fabulous and was also in death at pemberley did you ever watch that i did it's like it's like like pride and prejudice part two when they're all and and it's a murder one again like someone gets murdered it's great um 
but yeah, so my, um, it's funny that like for the night, Witches especially that like you, it's, it seems like it's so ripe for like pop culture and yeah. like, and stuff to come from, but it's, I had never heard of it and it's, it still seems like relatively unknown, even though, and I used a couple, my main sources, uh, were history channel, um, uh, Vanity Fair uh, had an article about the Night Witches. Vanity Atlantic had a good one. Um, so those were my three main ones. But like, I kept, I found a lot of like just articles about them. There's that a are, lot like, of information from, like, out there. Major publications. So it's like weird that this still is flying under the radar. Oh, <laughs> oh and Rip's gonna <laughs> he's gonna pull your mic. Um, um, when when it was in, it's in all of these major publications. Well, and and a lot of these the stuff we talk about like a lot of stuff is like oh people know about these things but it's just a footnote or if it's about a woman it's like look at this really quaint fun fact about this woman who did this cute thing let's go back to this isn't even used as a footnote or like a the more you know fun there were oh i didn't write it down but there they had these like commandments of the night witches that they followed um and one was like i'm paraphrasing it but it was basically like always proud to be a woman uh, and so it that is is referenced in a couple of my sources of, of when they talk about like that they that they do know that they would use their navigation pencils to like line their eyes or their lips uh, and that they would paint their planes. So that's how I know. I'm like I, I wonder they were really and then this would be a great Halloween costume, right? But you'd be wearing clown shoes and like an army, an oversized army getup, and people would think you're and doing you're, one of those like combo puns. It's like, no, this is the actual uniform. And your underwear would be flare. Parachute. Yeah, it would be a flare parachute. Because we go and historically your arms, accurate. Your arms would be plywood and canvas. Um, <laughs> yeah, because they would still like they'd be like they'd come back from their missions and like have a sewing circle. Like they still they were like we are we're. It's funny. It's like in the in the in our episode about the Amazons of Dahomey, I talk about like the role of gender in it, and that there were some accounts that said that you once you drew your first blood, uh, you were no longer seen in uh, the society as a woman, um, and so uh, which was an honor. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like that in that moment you like you lost your gender basically, yeah. um, and in this one that they're like, great, we're going to drop all these bombs. And they're like, but we are proud to be women and we're going to keep doing things that like are traditionally in the 1940s considered like women's work. Well, and, and I mean, hashtag fourth wave feminism. It's like, we have to do what the men are doing or like a lot of feminism for a while. There was like completely eschewing femininity and like, Mm -hmm. nah, you can want to go darn your socks. Like good for you your your needlework your choice but also we can be awesome stealth yeah. bombers like and also gay. men maybe do some needlework yeah it's also relaxing. i'm tired of darning your socks gosh <laughs> darn, darn it. it darn your own darn socks <laughs> uh um, on that note <laughs> uh, these are, you can tell us how to darn our gosh darn socks uh by emailing us your questions, suggestions, and corrections. Oh, I did them in the wrong order. Questions, corrections, and suggestions uh, at uh, sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. A friend of mine actually asked, like, hey, how do I tell you if I have an idea? And I was like, well, you're sitting across from me right now, so you could just tell my face. We've uh, had a lot of people. Um, or you can, like, yeah, like DM us. We, I've had a lot of people DM or, like, uh, tagging us in um, – 
in, in like, like I have a lot of people tagging me and like, Oh, I saw this cool article on Facebook. Yeah. If you know a dope history thing that like you think is like a deep cut, cause there are things that like I'll know about and I'll be like, Oh, I can't cover that. Cause I know about it. So clearly it's yeah. not. And then I'm like, no, this is a weird thing about Chicago history that only I care about. Yeah. Uh, also a shout out to uh, Sarah Serrato. Like I swear to God, every couple weeks or something, she, she tags me and stuff and they're all like, Oh my God, how did you find this? This is so cool. Yeah. And I have Sarah, I have a list going of like all the stuff you're tagging me in. And so I will get to them eventually yeah. and keep doing it. They're dope. Yes. So like, Tag us and stuff. Post screenshots of you listening to the podcast and we'll re- and tag us and we'll reshare it. Uh, send us those questions, corrections, and suggestions. Uh, DM us with those suggestions. Give us a, a, a lovely, warm, and consensual hug next time you see us. Yeah, like, give us a... Or show your affection out. digitally with through the anonymity of the internet by writing us a review. Oh, on, please write us a review. Yeah, uh, that would be awesome. On uh, Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. All of these things. We love you all. Um, it's great. Follow us at, at Shared Pod. Uh, give money to the Arcade Audio Patreon and tell them that you love us. These are all of the businessy things. Um, but mostly just like get out there and harass learn. men, bomb some Nazis. <laughs> and learn. And Listen learn. and learn. Listen and learn. Um, on that note. And smash the like and subscribe. <laughs> Natalie recently put us on YouTube. She's like, now I can actually say smash yep. like and subscribe. I was like, you shouldn't say that anyway. I'm going to. <laughs> um, I've been your host, Cass Maher. And I've been your other host, Nat Younger. We've been lovely joined by DJ Rip as, as always. always. Um, so share, share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.